Well, you want to start? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. How are you? I just want to comment what my friend just said. <coughs> says you grew you grew your beard, right? See, this is funny. Like, uh, basically, like I hadn't been into the East Coast a couple of years ago for a while, and when I got back, I had my hair was longer. So people were saying, "Oh, you're growing your hair." I said, "Yes, I'm really doing a good job growing my hair." And I joined a group, and we grow our hair together. <laughs> and I find that with the we, it grows quicker, faster. But it's sort of funny because all you do is just don't cut it. But the language implies that we have something to do with something we have nothing to do all day. Just that nonchalant little statement, I, you grew your beard like I actually grew the beard. Yes? The same, 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 same thing. The language is one of the main facets of the deactivity of the disease of alcoholism. Yeah? How it's... How your life is framed in language is that you're the doer of a lot of things you have nothing to do with. Yeah? It's sort of like me thinking that uh, I just ate at Azteca, and <laughs> it's pretty heavy food. <laughs> so, let's say I was sitting here, and I, I realized I just ate at Azteca, and then I have to, I'd have to take a break to go and digest it. And this is going to take a while, man. There's a large plate of food. And so I'll have to cancel the meeting tonight because I have to. I forgot to digest that pizza I had last night in Philly, and it's backing up, and I got to go home and digest. Now everyone would laugh and think, "Ha ha ha! You're not digesting your food, but you believe you're the thinker of the thoughts." Much subtler process of the brain and the body. Much subtler, yet you take yourself to be the doer of that, but you don't pump your heart, beat your heart. You don't pump your blood. You don't digest your food. You can't even shit when you want to shit a lot of the time. <laughs> Basically, whatever power is available knew not to give us much power. Yeah, Because this is totally involuntary. If we had to do the heart beating, we would never have made it past the first day. Yeah, We would have forgot. Somebody would walk by and, oh, we forgot beating the heart. Yeah, So this language... It's so subtle, it sounds so nonchalant, innocent, but a lot of times people are implying, and your, your head is constantly implying, you and I have something to do with something we have nothing to do with. Yeah? And I'm telling you, in my own experience, now you can entertain it or not, but I feel like you have the right to hear it. In my own experience, in the process of recovery, I came to a point where my mind opened up and I saw self as a foreign installment, the idea of self, where those, there's pages upon pages where it talks about self is what has defeated us, self is the big killer, and you can't get out of it with any, other, with any human power. You have to seek a power greater than self. Yeah? When I finally, when it dawned on me, I was not that, and how it was constructed, it, it came upon me that it's more like a parasite, yes? Obviously, if you've ever had it take you over, it's a pretty hostile takeover, yes? And, you, and if you haven't, let's say you were in Milestone for two months and you were, you were freed, or at least the parasite was kept at bay from the, by the we, and then you left, and then it was on you again, it would feel like a possession. It would feel like something took you over, yes? You hear three months, 
maybe there's not enough room for it to take you over. You've got a lot of things to do, and the we is pretty strong. But usually, the biggest problem of a 28-day program is the 29th day. It's when you leave the program, then you're sort of against, you're, over, you're overmatched, and you're, over, you're powerless over it, and it takes you, and for me, I spent two years in a program, and it took about one day, two days, to have me back out there. Yeah, started running and advertising, telling me what I'd been missing for two years, making it sound really romantic and exciting. Like it did, it, it omitted a lot of facts, like getting shot at and run over and beat up. But it was like very, very romantic. Oh yes, all those lovely junkets with all the junky friends. You know, it was all bullshit. But I bought it and I drove down to a bar and I ordered a beer, the first one I had in two years. Yeah, two years. I didn't touch any alcohol or drugs. Two years. Ordered the beer. I'm obsessed so much with myself. I'm thinking the bartender, you know, has gotten my newsletter for the last ten months, and I should not be having a drink. But he doesn't know me from Adam, and he gives me the beer. I bought it. And I was sitting there, and nothing happened. I felt like I had immunity, yes? So what I did, what did I do? I ordered another beer. Halfway through the second beer, it wasn't enough for me. I wanted more, whatever that more means to you. Yeah? And I looked around the room, and I had no intention of looking around the room for more as I walked in. But as soon as I had that drink, there I was again. Yeah? And the same old guy who used to sell more, so I had like a franchise there, he was still there. I kissed his ass enough. It's funny because when you buy a pair of pants, you don't kiss the ass of a salesman usually. But if you buy cocaine or something, you got to listen to their life story. They, they fake it like they're going to give it to you. And they go, oh, no. Let me tell you what happened and you're fucking dying. But, uh, <laughs> talking, talking about dependency. And uh, so I bought this little quarter gram. I went out to, into my car. I had bought a Toyota Corolla, which I lost two nights later. <laughs> and I did, a, I, did a, I did a line of that stuff, and it was like that movie The Shining with Jack Nicholson breaking through the bathroom door at the end, the Here's Johnny. It was just like that. That fucking jockey hadn't ridden me for two years, and I could feel it climbing back on. Yeah. And then the barn doors were wide open, and it ran out, and I went on a... I went on a fucking ten-month run. That was the only reason why, because I had two years of health, you know, brought about by being in Delancey Street for two years. You know, I uh, I went on this ten-month run, and I washed up. <laughs> I washed up in a trailer park about an hour and a half from San Francisco. I went out in San Francisco, St. Patrick's Day. Three days later, I'm in a trailer park with some guy I don't know, drinking a bottle of Royal Gate vodka, passing it back and forth. It's, I don't know if you have it here. You probably have it here, but with a different little name on it. But it's like 80 cents a pint. Very it's, like, it's, it's vodka in name only. I don't know what the fuck it is. But it's, it destroys brain cells pretty fast. So I... Um, I was drinking this thing, and, you know, I was pretty damn hopeless. I'd spent two years in a program. I'd gone back to college. I had a nice place. I had the Toyota Corolla, and it went out. It went really fast. And I was really pitifully incomprehensibly demoralized, and I had basically stabilized there. I was just figuring, I'm going to try to stay as high as I can until the next time I park at an institution jail or death, because that's where I'd been going for a while. 
So I had no idea. So I had this. I got. I was drinking, and I looked at this guy. I said it the other night. He had a big face with bulbous nose and varicose veins. And I said to myself, this guy's a bum, you know? And lo and behold, he was looking back at me like I was a bum. And that was the moment of clarity. Something happened. It, stopped, it was like a wrench was thrown in that works. And I call it selfing. You know, that's what I call it. It's the activity of the, of the alcoholism. It's constantly talking to you, as you, about you. And um, it stopped for about four minutes, five minutes. I don't even know how long. But something happened, almost like a portal opened up. And some information downloaded. And it was just a big CNN news you know, headline with no story. And the headline was, I'm fucked. You know? <laughs> and now I'd been fucked for years. But I didn't really know it. I knew it mentally, you know, but I didn't know it in the innermost. Yeah, that's what it says. I'm not that wild about the first that where it says you have to admit. I like in the other part of the book where it says you have to admit to your innermost self that you're alcoholic. Because I had admitted many times I was an alcoholic and a drug addict, tons of times. But it never left the mental state, and that's where the self reigns supreme. It had to go deeper, and there is deeper in you, you know. There is deeper. And it went in, and it made an impression. And then suddenly ideas came in that weren't there four minutes before, and I walked out of that place, and I've never had a drink since, 26 and a half years later. It set off trains of circumstances, this portal, this download, and in the next morning, I was at an A meeting, the next night, at 8 o'clock, in a Salvation Army men's meeting. On, uh, on, on Army and Valencia in San Francisco. And uh, my girlfriend, this ex-girlfriend of mine, after I had this download, I uh, walked out, I called the Lancy Street, and they wouldn't have me back because they had been following my newsletter. <laughs> now, you can come back in a month and have another interview, but that doesn't mean you're guaranteed to get in. You know? But we'll, we'll in- interview you again. And uh, the first, you know, honesty had come in this download, and I said the first honest thing in 10 months, and that is, I don't think I have a month, you know. I really, it was, it, there was a real strong sense of terminalness, you know. Yeah, I was like on borrowed time, so to speak. So I call up this woman who I used to party with, and uh, obviously, conveniently, she was a nurse, which many of us end up with, you know. And uh, <laughs> it's funny, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, she kept, she she. It sounded I was pretty I was pretty humble and stuff. And so she said, "All right, I'll drive up and get you." You know. And in that hour and a half, I had an alcoholic recovery. I wanted to get loaded again. <laughs> I forgot all about the mo- the download and the moment of clarity. But the download hadn't forgotten me, and it had set off trains of circumstances that I couldn't stop. And I got in the car, and I just immediately started to try to talk her into getting me, getting some drugs because I had no money or alcohol. And I had the old formula of, all right, let's get the alcohol, get the drugs, rent the hotel room, get the dirty magazines, and then we'll have a great time. And she had, had, those, she had, had those times with me. They weren't so great for her. <laughs> so she said, no, we're not going to do that tonight. We're gonna, you've got to go to an AA meeting if you want a place to stay. And that's what I wanted, yeah, because I had nowhere to go. Didn't have a pot to piss in. 
And I and she took me in my first meeting. And she couldn't come in because it was a men's meeting. So she picked, dropped me off at eight, got me back at nine, took me back to her place. And the miracle happened when I fell asleep because uh, I woke up and something had really changed. That giant, powerful urge to escape wasn't as strong as it usually was. And I had other ideas, which was, I better call this AA up and see if there's an earlier meeting, because I'm not going to last till 8 o'clock at night, you know? I better find if they have an earlier one. And they did, at 12 o'clock, 17th and Guerrero. So I went there, and that became that began the odyssey in AA. And over time, it led me... The more relief you get from the problem, the more you can understand the problem. When you're under alcoholism, you don't know what's really going on. That's part of it, yeah? But you can really know alcoholism when you're not bound to it. You, know, you can see the problem from the solution, really. And AA is the solution in my life. And it's, it's, it's a, a communal solution in one sense, especially in the beginning. And then it's an individual solution as the strength get gathers. Because what I believe the 12 steps do is they diminish a mental condition. Alcoholism is a mental disease. Where Bill W. says the problem uh, is focused, there's something like that in the mind. Yeah. So alcoholism, you can't take an x-ray of it. You won't see it on an x-ray. Maybe you'll see the bloated liver and shit like that, but you won't see the alcoholism. <laughs> and it's, to me, a parasitical mental movement. Yeah. Once, it in, once it's in, it's difficult to get out. And it has an incredible strategy to convince you, almost sort of like, you know how some parasites will sting you and then you can't move anymore. And then they, the one insect drags the other insect to its lair, and then the babies eat it, yeah? The thing's awake, but it can't move anymore. Well, the parasite of alcoholism does something similar. It convinces you that you're it, yeah? Its presentation of you becomes you, for all intents and purposes. And you really fucking need a drink. And you really need to do another shot, yeah? And you really need to get out of here, yeah? And on and on and on and on. And suddenly, we become identified with that, let's say, K-alcoholic, that station. And we start buying its products. And it's promising wonders, but basically <coughs> get shit, you know, if you were like me. What I had when I was younger, as soon as I started to drink, it was obvious I had magnetic appeal to people in uniform. As soon as I started to drink... I started to have consequences. And the alcoholic of my type is willing to pay any consequence tomorrow not to feel uncomfortable now. That's the deal. And I feel really uncomfortable with active alcoholism. I do. I feel... You'll hear it. It's a common statement in, in the meetings where people come in and say, man, I started to feel uncomfortable in my own skin, which is a drag because that's the only skin you're going to be in. Yeah? It's your own one. And so it's a bad place to start a day from that little... It's sort of a disadvantage, yes, immediately. And then it just, it just puts more and more on the disadvantage to the point where you may be solemnly swearing you're not going to do something and then two hours later you do it. Yeah. Because you have no power. That's the dilemma. As it says on page, I think, 45, it says, the problem is lack of power. That was our <laughs> dilemma. Yeah. Now, it's funny he uses the word dilemma. Yeah. 
he could have said it's the it's problem, but he do, he doesn't say it's a problem because if you admit your lack of power, if you admit your powerlessness, it's the solution. The dilemma about powerlessness is when you're exerting power you don't have. Yeah, so you would. You're getting frustrated and discouraged because people aren't do, doing what you want. Your head isn't doing what you want. Your bladder isn't doing what you want. Yeah? Your hair isn't doing what you want on humid days. You know? A lot of things aren't doing what you want. And you're trying to manage and control them into some sense of doing what you want, and it's not working. So you experience discouragement and frustration, and you sometimes get mad and angry and resentful. But basically, all of those are coming from the state of, of exerting power when you don't have any. So that's the dilemma. If you admit your powerlessness, it's not a dilemma at all. It actually becomes where the source of power gets plugged in. It comes through the, 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 uh, the plug or the fixture of powerlessness. When you admit to your innermost self that you're not managerial quality... Yeah, and that you are willing to turn your, your, your outcomes of life over to some other power and just to show up and suit up and do what you can do and then we're not in the outcome business. Yeah. And then let's just see what happens and if it seems to work, then you'll grow in faith with the system. And it does. Yeah. So the whole point is that the main dilemma in a lot of us with the mental state of alcoholism, it believes it has power because that's its basis for its urge to manage and control. Yeah. If you believe you have power, you're going to try to manage and control. If you realize you don't have power, it's, it's, almost, it's not like you give it up, but it drops away because that's what happened in that trailer, in a sense. I had a sober assessment that I didn't come to. It was downloaded that I was fucked. And that hasn't changed in 26 years. Yeah? It's the basis of my whole program. There is no debate about all that stuff. I could care less. I, was, I am not managerial quality. Yeah? It's just that freaking simple. And you know what? That admittance of powerlessness has, has opened me up to a source of power where I don't get frustrated and I don't get discouraged because I, don't, I, can, I can sort of accept where you're at. Yeah, I'm not trying to change you to fit my idea. I'm fitting myself around circumstances instead of trying to fit them around me, which is all about managing and control. And it would be great if you had any power, but the dilemma is powerlessness. That's the elephant in the room. If you're not willing to admit that, you're going to keep bumping your head against a lot of walls. You're going to think they should open up like a door, and you'll try to walk through, and it won't. <laughs> and it's not forgiving. It's not going to change its opinion. Yeah? So you have to fit yourself around that. So, so, so what happened? So I started to go to meetings, and... I was listening to people for a few months and I came in with a very thick skin of terminal uniqueness. <laughs> I really, really was so separated from fucking everything. It was funny because when I was a kid, we'd have a, a family picture when I was three or four years old and I had my older siblings and my mother and father and one of those portrait type things. 
and we were all sort of shining and smiling, you know, and I looked like a little cherub. And then about, after a few years of alcoholism, it looked like I was pasted in the picture, you know? I'd be, I'd be there, but it looked like I wasn't there. And I'd be looking at my mother suspiciously. Uh, these aren't my brothers and sisters. I don't know these people, you know? It's what happens. You know what happens to that little cherub? A mental state got developed and took me over. And I was dying for a drink way before I ever found one. Yeah, I was quite uncomfortable from about six on. Yeah. It was just nothing. Man, it was just unbelievable, man. I walked through the hallway at school one day, 11, year old, 11 years old. Pretty girl said hello to me. And I went home and wondered what she meant by it for five hours. You know? <laughs> Does she like me? Doesn't she like me? On and on. Just, just blah, blah, blah of selfie, selfie, selfie. And no, no matter how I looked at it, I could only see how it pertained to me. I couldn't see it, just the person walking by. No, no, no. Her look was meaning. There was some hieroglyphic <laughs> meaning into it. No, she didn't even notice you. And millions of others haven't in this life. So, you know, this is a sort of like um, a very uncomfortable state that doesn't just stabilize, it progresses, you know. Six led to seven, led to eight, led to nine, led to ten, led to eleven, hormones, acne, whoo, big explosion, totally, totally just more and more and more absorbed in here, yeah, and taking counsel from my own head, and its advice, its advice was not good. So when I found alcohol, I didn't know that's what I was looking for. But when I found it, I knew that's what I was looking for. Because it produced the effect I, I was looking for, which is I didn't give a shit about what that girl meant by saying hello to me. I didn't care what my batting average was. I wasn't taking the, the mother who got up when I was up at the plate from the stands. I didn't take it personally. Because I was getting loaded after the game. You know? It worked to a point. So this went on till I was, oh, it just, it just, you know, I, when I was younger, I wanted to be a marine biologist. After about four years of active alcoholism, my idea of success was not to be arrested, really. That was incredible. <laughs> I mean, all those dreams just got squished. And all I wanted to do is I just wanted to keep getting high to avoid what I was so fucking afraid of. And I couldn't really tell you what that was. But I thought it was right here and right now. And I didn't want to be right here and right now. You know? I wanted to have a feeling before you could ever give me a feeling. I want to have a feeling in place. I want to, I want to have at least control over this. Yeah, when I can't keep people who I love not from dying, but I can make me, I can put a feeling in here every day that will produce like a skin, a thick skin, will keep you out, but also keeps you in. It suffocates you. When the mind wants to shut some one window because one topic is bothering it, all the windows come down, and it's very difficult to get them back up. Yeah. So I shut down, and I was gone. I remember when my father passed away. I was nine years old. And uh, that the alcoholism really started, to, the ism started to really kick in. And I had a nun, Sister Marie Neal. And when I came back to class, I used to sit here... She would be up there, and I was like the third person in a row, right, angled her. So I used to see her every day. 
I came back from this event, my father dying, and I had gone up the ass of self really deeply. Yeah? So I was sat in that chair, but Sister Marie Neal looked like she was miles away. I was just listening to that little voice up there that was getting louder and louder. You know? So what happened is I found that drug drinking and the drugs. Uh, it accelerated really quickly to when I hit 16. I got kicked out of high school, and I... Um, I had my first arrest, major arrest. I was selling drugs out of my mother's house, and I, they raided the house, and I had a thousand hits of LSD in there, and so I got uh, a big arrest, and that set off a lot of trains of circumstances where I got arrested quite a lot when I was 17. So I had to go on a three-year probation, pre-probation program, 17 to 20, with the probate, all that stuff, urine tests, and nothing stopped me from getting loaded, you know. I didn't give a shit what happened to me. I could wait it out until I could get high, you know. And it didn't, it was just nothing, it seemed like nothing could stop it. So then on about 28, I was in, uh, I had come back to New York. I lived in Long Island, and I was there in January, and I was staying at my sister's house, and I took her car, and I went out on Sunday night, January 30th, freezing cold, nothing going on. I went to a bar in Merrick, in Merrick Road, Baldwin. Phineas Tees, my friend was the bartender. He gave me some Grand Meunier and a Quaalude. Did that. There was only him and a waitress. I left, went back home to her. And yet I started to get antsy, like I was missing something, like a big party had erupted at the bar. <laughs> so I got back in her car and drove to the bar, and I never made it across the street. The last thing I remember is I closed the door, the light inside the car, closed the door, and the next thing I remembered, I, w I woke up, and there was my sister-in-law in the doorway, and by her look in her face, I knew I was screwed, and I'd gotten run over twice the same night. Which is a hard thing to fucking do. <laughs> if you were the doer, if you were actually the doer, that would be an incredible feat. You know, I, mean, I would be proud of it. But the guy hit me, and he didn't know what he hit, so he backed up the sea, and he backed up home. So I was in a hospital bed for two months, and then eight more months at my sister's house in a hospital bed for ten months. And the, the parasite was just biding its time until the, its transportation got better. <laughs> I couldn't get in that much trouble in a hospital bed, you know, but it was waiting patiently. And then finally I started getting up on my feet when crutches, and I got a job out here, no, in California, Santa Cruz, California. And, uh, you know, I had a chance to live a new way, and what happened is I just duplicated the same Paul that was before the, uh, the accident as the one after. But now I'm on crutches selling coke, you know, in clubs, you know what I mean? It's, uh, it was really pathetic, but I thought I had it going on. You know? <laughs> it really was, seriously. And then, uh, <laughs> so that went on from 80 to 85. 85, my, my managing my own life led me to have to be managed by other people, basically. I ended up in a program maybe similar to Milestone, Delancey Street. They have one in New York, I think, too. New York and another one city in San Francisco. And I walked in there, and uh, they interviewed me, and they asked me questions. And one of the questions was, do you want a place to stay tonight? And that was what I wanted. Yeah. And uh, they, uh, 
they they accepted me and they said, but you have to make a two year commitment. <laughs> so I said, all right, yeah, sure. Yeah. No intention, you know. You can, I would have signed up for the army for a, a pop that way. Not gone. You know what I mean? <laughs> so they, uh, I, I was in there, eighty five to eighty seven. I stayed two years, and you know. I'm not proud of it, but I thrive in an institutional setting. Really, I do. When people tell me what to do and watching over me all day, I do pretty damn good. <laughs> you know, I went to college and all that stuff, and I and it was I had a lot of friends in there, and we had a lot of fun in a lot of ways. But there was something after about 16 months. I thought there was something I needed that may not be there at that program, so I was asking. Some some people live there for the rest of their lives. They, they have a great success rate, but there's a, a little, it's an addendum underneath that statement, which is you've got to live here forever. Because <laughs> everyone that's ever left there that I've known of have gotten loaded. But they say we have a 98% success rate if you live there the rest of your life. <laughs> now, so I like the success rate, but I don't like living there the rest of my life. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so I was asking people... In the, the facility, I, some vague thing, I didn't think I, I, is, I was talking about, and they had no idea what I was talking about, so I realized something I really needed, which I later found was AA, wasn't available there. Yeah? So they asked me at the 20-month block, do you want to sign up for five more years? And I said, no, I really don't. They said, well, we have a workout program that if you work out, get it, and there's requirements, you find an outside job, you get a... You, you get a checking account, you get a car, and after four months, if you find a place to move to, you can move and you'll graduate. And that's what I did, yeah? I started driving a van, delivering hardware to, uh, you know, carpenters and hardware stores, you know, uh, cabinet makers, especially hardware. And I bought the Toyota Corolla, and I got the checking account, and after four months, I, tr I found a place to move out. And, uh, it was a nice apartment with two young girls, and I hadn't drank or used. I looked pretty good, khaki pants on and a blue blazer, and you know. And uh, I like to say my realtor was uh, <laughs> Doctor <laughs> Jekyll. They liked Doctor Jekyll, and I thought I was Doctor Jekyll again. And Delancey Street had told me I was Doctor Jekyll. That that the Mr. Hyde period, the rather long, was over. And I was hoping they were right, but I had a strong suspicion they weren't. And I, I think people liked me, and they, I signed the lease, and I moved in as Dr. Jekyll. <laughs> that night I got off of work. I didn't know what to do with myself. Time was way a big deal to me when I'm out there. I'm just fucking scared. Should have had so much time on my hands. You know? It really scares me. It's like, it's like a... It's like a, a condemnation because I'm not doing enough for something. So I got home to the apartment, and I had like six hours before I went to bed, and I didn't know what I was going to do. And my head was running and advertising all this lovely shit I'd been missing, and that's what prom provoked me to drive down to that bar. Yeah. I listened to my head. It took me where it wanted to take me. I was introduced to the fuel of the parasite. Do you ever see? There's, a, there's these things. 
Look into parasites on the internet. Yeah? Check this out, because they've had a lot more evidence now. There is a parasite, and this is what RC alcoholism is, but it's a mental one. There's a parasite that's in most animals. They call it toxo. It's such a heavy duty one. And it's in it's in uh, it's in mice and rats and stuff. But the only way, place it can procreate is in the stomach of a cat. Yeah? So it's in the mouse and the rat, and when the mouse and the rat sees a cat, they run towards the cat. The parasite jacks into their head and overrides a huge instinct, and they actually run towards the predator so that the predator will kill them, and then the parasite will meet its lovely mate in the, in the cat's belly. Isn't that incredible? All the while, if the cat was self-centeredness, self-centered, it would think it was doing it. But it's the parasite jacking into the head of the cat, driving it exactly the wrong way. Yeah, the cat's probably thinking, "Oh, we're the rats. Oh, the cat must have been fucking surprised as hell. What <laughs> rats and mice are coming at me? What? Eat me, eat me, what?" Yeah, it's fucking amazing. Why do you think we're so different? Do you think you're so different? You're taken over every freaking day by tons of things. Yeah, and maybe a lot of things are coming in and taking you over, and not taking you over. Maybe there's an occupation that's had a pretty damn long time in you, and you may be calling it you now. Yeah, and when it sees the cat, it's gonna run towards it. When it sees the little drama that could cause it to have to leave this facility, it may run towards it. When it sees the alcohol and the drug, it may run towards it. Or go back to that bad relationship, it may run towards it. And all the while, in the self-centeredness, you'll be saying you're doing it. Just like I'm doing the beard, and I'm growing the hair. Most of us are not the driver of the car. Yeah. Right now, the parasite is waiting to take us over. If you leave this facility, you'll be easy prey. Yes, that's what it does. It's got patience on its side. It's going to find an opening and burrow in there again, and it's going to start talking to you, and then it's going to shift, and it'll be talking as you. Have you ever noticed that? If you've been away from it for a while, it's like a salesman trying to sell you something. Hey, why don't we go to that old bar? Maybe we'll see... That eight-year-old girlfriend we once had, you know, maybe she could do that. Yeah, and it's really working. You trying to convince you, but then there's a point where it it becomes you in a sense. Now it's talking as you. You're at that bar. Yeah, you're at that bar. Rationalize why it's the fucking great greatest place to be. Yeah, and you and all day we keep. We keep identifying with the expressions of the parasite as ours. How can you be free from what you take yourself to be? It's impossible. That's how it deadens that urge to be free from it, because now you have an urge to be free as it. And this idea of freedom may be doing a shot of coke. Hell be damned about the consequences. Five seconds is good enough for me. Because I can thrive in your system all those years you're fucked up in jail. You don't think it's overriding you? Just like that thing overrides the cat, the mouse and the rat's mind? A huge instinct of survival? Can't stand it. There's stuff in your belly called candida, yes? 
It's a little bit of a fungus. It grows in there. It grows all over your body because it broke through the intestinal wall and get into the bloodstream. They think a lot of sinus infections are caused, caused, this is causing a candida, all this stuff, yeah? It's in the brain, yes? It's a very old fungus. It means the king, in a sense. Well, candida has a certain fuel it likes, which is usually sugar coming from white flowery pastries and shit like that, yeah? Now... The candida doesn't have legs to go to entomins to get any of these pastries. It's in your intestinal gut. It has no, you know, it doesn't have an outside line it can call up for delivery. It has to convince you to get what it wants. Yeah? And when you do, and you start eating tons of entomin pastries, all the while you'll be telling the story how much you love entomin pastries. Yeah? That's how that's how taken over we are. <laughs> now, if it is a mental parasite, or if it is a foreign installment, what possibility arises if that's the case? The possibility that you can be free from it. Free from it. Because it's not working trying to be free as it. Because its idea of freedom isn't your idea of freedom. And it's got the stronger idea. You know? When I was sitting there, I wasn't sitting at a coffee table looking at my vacation opportunities, and then I suddenly fell upon a brochure for Delancey Street. Oh, yeah. I think I'll take a two-year living with all men in a fucking... You know? No. The game board of life, we end up with only one or two squares. Yeah? And we don't even know how we got here. Yet we're claiming that we've done it all. Jesus, in the first step, it says we are powerless over alcohol. Yeah? Now you want to add drugs or whatever, it doesn't matter. But powerlessness, that was the dilemma. So we are powerless over alcohol. Now, what would be a good like example of powerlessness over alcohol? Let's say you're dancing with a gorilla. You're going to stop when it wants to stop. Yeah? In other words, your say has no say. Yes? All right. It says a lot of people believe you have to do the first step perfectly in AA. Yes? You've got to be clear. But how perfectly are we doing it when we keep feeling guilty and shame for what we did under the influence of alcohol and drugs, even after we've cleaned it all up and we're accountable for all the amends, we still feel guilty and shame because we still believe we did it. Yet we didn't do it. We were led by that alcoholism. We're accountable for what happened. It's like, my dog shit on your lawn. I didn't shit on your lawn. I'm accountable for my dog doing it. I'll get a better leash. But I'm not going to sit and get guilty about shitting on your lawn. I'm going to clean up the lawn and then make an amend and, you know, hope, asking your pal, let me not, let my dog not shit on that lawn. You know, and I'm willing to grow towards that. But no. The guilt and shame constantly regenerating. It's like, it's like an imaginary crop that keeps on giving fruit all day. Guilt and shame, the only place guilt and shame can rest is on personal doership. And if you were truly powerless over alcohol or drugs, then you weren't the doer of what was going on. You were the done by. 
You are the transportation. Yeah? Let yourself off the hook. That's what happened with me. I came in AA. I got the idea of disease, yes? And I was about a year and a half sober. I was going out with this, my first fairy princess in AA, <laughs> wanting to impress her. I was with my friend and his girlfriend. My friend rode motorcycles, and I had a motorcycle. We drove over to his apartment, and we had to go up these stairs, to, and we are going to just hang out, you know? And this, Chinese, this Asian woman came down. She had paint on her pants, and then she just walked by, and then we went in, and then he went down to get something from his bike, and he came back and says, hey, my neighbor would like to say, talk to you. And I thought he had told her I'm a painter, house painter, and maybe she wants some professional advice. All right? She walks in and says, hi, Paul. Do you remember me? I go, no. You owe me $500. Yeah? <laughs> so, I owe her money. Now, I want to impress this girl and my friends, and basically, if I felt I was the doer of that, I would have been very fucking embarrassed and shameful. And none of that came up, because I had gotten the disease. I had gotten step one, that I would have done what I did to her to anyone. Unless you could physically stop me. That's that. Yeah? Now, I paid her the money, and but every time I sent her a check, I said, you're only seeing this because of AA. <laughs> because if I thought I did it to her, I would have tried to avoid her for the rest of my freaking life. <laughs> Responsibility and self-centeredness doesn't stay responsible. It goes and it morphs into a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of denial, a lot of disassociation. I mean, you don't, you don't want to see one person, you'll move out of the fucking state they live in. Yeah? <laughs> Anything to avoid losing your face. Yeah? But the funny thing is, it says you've got to be willing to lose your, fa to lose your face instead of your ass. Yeah? And save your ass. But for me, I thought my face was my ass. <laughs> That's the selfing. The selfing is, there's an image in you that you're taking to be you. That's why some people will see you totally different than you see you, because you don't see you. You're thought about all fucking day. And they're not thinking about you all day, and they sort of see you as a presentation, and they think you're being... I've been in relationships. When I, when I left, she was totally surprised. She showed me the films. I always had a smile. My story was, I'm feeling so imposed upon. I'm confined. I've got to escape. I was having a fucking blast. <laughs> but my story wasn't, wasn't not even close to what was really going on. But I was up the ass itself. I took the story to be what was happening. You see it? There's a possibility to be free from it. Not learn another technique to try to get a little relief, but to get a radical relief where they describe it in page 84 that the problem will not exist for you anymore. That's a damn good solution. The problem won't exist for you anymore. And I have that experience. I actually have it stabilized. Because if you take it a little farther and you realize you're not that which is driving you crazy that that is a foreign installment, then you can be, you can exist, the problem will not exist as you anymore. And that's what alcoholism is doing. It's existing as you. It's using you for every fucking thing. You're going to the store for it, you're going to jail for it, you're going to places like this for it.
I'm occupied, literally. <laughs> well, in a sense, you do get occupied, but, but a much more benevolent force, the higher power. Yeah? The higher power will move through you and benefit others. Instead of pr- making you a vacuum where you're sucking everything out, you'll be actually putting stuff in. Yeah? And you'll really get the joy of having it by giving it away. Yeah? That's the spiritual modality. You have it by giving it away. And I remember when I first started doing talks, I used to do these fourth-step workshops around the country and stuff. And I did them for like 18 years. And I remember uh, I started doing them the third year of sobriety. And every Monday night I'd go to do a talk. Right before I did the talk, I may have been in terrible condition. One time I was waiting to hear if I had AIDS. And back then you had to wait for three weeks. You know. Another time it was, uh, you know, my fairy princess just broke up with me five minutes before. Uh, I had no money. But no matter what seeming condition I thought I was in, when I sat and did, I was willing to be of service, that water came through the hose and all was forgotten for that hour. So how real could it have been? Not forgotten like getting loaded forgotten. I mean forgotten, being wide awake. Yes? And it never, it batted a thousand. Every Monday night, no matter what condition I was, I'd sit there. So I'm not a real believer when people say that you have to have it to give it away. I believe if you're willing to give it away, you'll have it. I really do. If you're willing to be, a, if you're willing to be the hose, there's so much water that wants to come through here. I swear to God. It's, we're dying of thirst. You know how many of us are overmatched all day? By this parasite. I get calls today, yesterday, people back home, neuroscientists. He's no match. He knows all about the brain. <laughs> it's not helping him one bit. Self-knowledge will avail you nothing. Yeah? The parasite gets very familiar with you. And you know what? It's you're its only host. It's not gonna let you die easy. You'll be getting, like, fucking limps and abscesses and missing teeth, but you'll keep on cooking. (laughs) You're not going to die. It's not going to let you go. I mean, most alcoholics don't die fast, do they? No, they don't. They just go on and on and on and on and on. It's incredible. <laughs> there is a solution. There is a solution. Yeah. Do the men do these steps, take some advice, some suggestions, and if you give it enough time, it will diminish the mental state where the uh, parasite thrives. The parasite doesn't thrive in the physical state, it expresses in the physical state. Nor in the emotional state, it expresses it. It thrives in the mental state. That's where it's demonstrated, that's where it's active, yeah? And that's where it runs runs its number, yeah? If the mental, this is why I believe the steps do. I don't think the steps produce a spiritual awakening. I think they allow you to waken up to the awakening. You're already awake. You've always been on. Spirit has always been moving through us every second of the way, yeah. But we're not in—we're not conscious of it. We're not enjoying that knowledge, yeah. 
So the mental conditions will be diminished by just living the AA design for living, living the life of AA and doing the steps. And when the mental state diminishes, the spiritual state starts becoming obvious. Yeah? You're, now, you're not looking for light now, you're looking from the light. Yeah? You'll feel it, like when you see some old-timers, they get that glint in their eyes, and they feel like they got a nice look on themselves. They've been around a while. They've been on the operating table, and they haven't gotten up, you know, and they haven't played doctor. They've just been letting it work on them over the years, and then all the rough angles get worn down, and it's just, they got, you can hear when they share, they got some authenticity, because they've experienced all the expressions of the solution in the book, you know? They've gone through every one of them. They have felt that, you know, they were placed in a position of neutrality with no thought or effort on their own part. Yeah? That the problem doesn't exist for them anymore. They're not fighting anyone or anything. All this just happens, almost like miraculously. That's exactly what it's like. You may seem to have to do a lot of work at first, because the whole point, the mental, the, the mental state is very, very powerful. You've got to weaken it with action. Yeah? Weaken it with action, but it's not the spiritual state's not produced by action. The walls that are cu- keeping the, us from it gets taken down by the actions. Yeah, that's how AA works. We don't think about it or f- go through feelings. We go through actions. Yeah, and then the feelings and the thoughts change. And if you can't recognize that these what thoughts are alcoholic, go to meetings. Like I was sharing before with the terminal uniqueness, after three months or so going to meetings, hearing people share, I had to come to only two conclusions. How did they get my thoughts? Really, because I could not believe people, they sounded just like me, thinking, you know, their thoughts, their feelings, exactly how I felt. And they had done some of the heinous things I had done that I thought no one else had ever done. Yeah? So after a while, how did they get my thoughts or they're not my thoughts? Yeah? And I recognize when I'm in this room, I don't identify with who you are. I don't know who you are. But I identify what's taking you over. Because the same parasite took me over. And I know what it's like to live under it. And that's why when we joke, we get the joke. If a normal person was in here, they wouldn't get the humor. Because they don't know what it's like to live under that system of thought. They don't. They have self-centeredness, but we, we're like, let's say self-centeredness is like an acoustic guitar. We've got alcoholism, an uh, amplified guitar. You know what I mean? You know, with fucking <laughs> Jimmy Page wailing it. I mean, we just take ourselves way too seriously. <laughs> it's unbelievable. So... <laughs> You know, we're here laughing because you know what it's like. And how could you know what it's like if you're not me? Because you've been taken over. What The same thing that took this over is taking that over. And that's what it doesn't want us ever to recognize. It doesn't want us to see that it's a foreign installment or a parasite. Because the next thing that would come into our mind would be, hey, I can be free from it. Yeah? Instead of what we're trying to do with our lives, we're trying to fit ourselves around it, we're trying to socialize it, we're trying to discipline it, we're begging it, please don't ruin this next party. You know what I mean? Don't come, please, please. You know, and you know, all this shit when we can just walk away from it. A free person, like a free range alcoholic. <laughs> Literally. 
having that sense of presence, you know. Did you ever hear that on page 63? It's a beautiful thing, this description of what happens. If anyone's had it, they'll know, you know. It's beautiful. It says, when we sincerely took such a position, the position is is surrendering our life and our will to the care of that higher power. Yeah, that's it. That's what he's... The first page is before that. That's what he's talking about, you know. God's now going to be the boss and we're going to be whatever. And so he says, all right, when you sincerely take such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. Yeah. Now, if we had a... We had a microphone. We asked people here to come up and start sharing their remarkable sources, uh, things. We could go on till Sunday. There's been so many miracles in a lot of our lives. Yeah, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer, being all powerful. See, now there's no dilemma of the powerlessness. Yeah, because we admit we're powerlessness, and now we're connected to that all-powerful source. Yeah. We're a conduit. We're not the reservoir. Yeah? The lawn is going to be nourished through, and up, through us, not by us. Yeah? Yeah. We had a new employer, being more powerful. He provided what we needed. I use this with the people I work with to this day, all the time, because they get consor- they're worried about their circumstantial financial situation. And you always go back to this principle. Hey, this new employer is going to provide what we need if we just keep close to him and you can't be far away from everywhere. (laughs) You can't be far away from everywhere. So that first requirement's already set. So it's asking one little thing. It is. It says, and performed his works well. Do some freaking service. Yeah? Then you can feel rest assured you're going to be taken care of a day at a time for every day that you ever have. Yeah? And I'll tell you something. Maybe you can doubt it now, but after it's proven four or five years ago and you think and you're holding on to those doubts, they're not yours. They're the parasites. The parasite, a miracle can happen in your life if it gets in two hours. But it remembers a, a, a supposed resentment for 35 years. Yes? The parasite in your life, something good is going on. When, how long does it take for you to get suspicious of yourself? Do I deserve, when's this girl going to figure me out? How could she possibly like me? I'm fucking such a fucking crazy character. You know what I mean? How long? 10 minutes, 15 minutes? You know? Yet the same head, if you're feeling bad, it says you don't, you're entering a lifelong depression. Doesn't it it elongate the bad and shorten the good? Do you want every one of your days to have that done to? Every day, shorten all the good. Oh, it can't last. And then elongate all the bad. Oh, this is going to last forever. All day, every day, you want to live that theme? You're going to drink. And it would would seem like a damn good idea. So, we provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. Established, let's not put it on out there yet, eh? Okay. I want to just get in this. Established on such a footing, this is cool. So, you start with the sincerity, right? You're fucked, let's say, <laughs> and you're sincerely, you're clear on that, and that's enough to start this whole ball rolling. But after a while it rolls, the recovery progresses also. So it rolls into the next level, the next state, which is established. So now you're established on in the third step, yeah? 
They're established there. And now, look at what happens. The effects quantum leap. Yeah? All right. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves. Our little plans and designs. And I love the use of the term little. Because, you know, when you're up the SSL, all your plans and designs seem big, don't they? He says, your little plans and designs. (laughs) More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. You're not practicing this. You practice AA, and this happens. You're not practicing this. You can't practice it. But it's, a, it's an effect of doing AA. These are, and he's describing a tons of effects about from, coming from following the AA way. So more and more we become interested in seeing what we could contribute to life as we felt new power flow in. This is, this is when the hose recognizes the water. Yeah, It feels the new power and then its purpose is defined. Before the water coming through, it's just an empty plastic little circle, you know? And your idea is to try to fill it up, basically. But now the water's moving through it, and its purpose, its purpose or its seat assignment is defined, yeah? To be of service. That's our purpose, yeah? So, as we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, Peace of mind is there for the taking, but we can't enjoy it with the mental state we're usually in. We can't enjoy it. It actually provokes agitation. The idea of peace drives people crazy that they don't have any. Yeah? As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, and that is such a fucking relief, man. As we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, boom, that is unbelievable shift. Instead of so hyper-conscious of your thoughts, you become conscious of the presence of the spirit. And the spirit is not thought. It's in between all the thoughts. It's around all the thoughts. It's, the thoughts are appearing in it, but have nothing to do with it. It's your own innermost, yeah? Waiting, waiting to have some influence in this life. Hmm. As we became conscious of his presence, we began, this is what's going to happen, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. (laughs) Shit. I never thought I could worry about the hereafter. And he says, no, that'll be removed too. (laughs) We were reborn. (coughs) Why not? That's even before the third step, basically. It leads up to the third step. Everything that's described in this book, and I'm sure a number of people in this room could agree, I've had an intimate experience of all the descriptions of the problem, and I had an intimate experience of all the descriptions of the solution. No other book ever in my life has been that complete. Yeah? It describes exactly what I'm not, and then it describes what it will be like when I am what I am. Yeah? Through the auspices of AA, and all it asks of me is very little, just to perform its works well. You know, do some service, 
be available and pre- and if you are present, you are available, and you'll be of service. That will be your attitude. Yes, you won't have to do so much. On you may, but your your attitude will be of service. Yeah. Yeah. So, any questions? Stunned into it. Yes. <laughs> Well, hallelujah. Literally, it's good news. Yeah? Maybe entertain those thoughts that are going on are alcoholic thoughts. That in a sense you have nothing to do with them unless you act on them. And then you're going to be beholden to all the consequences. So, Alright, well that's it. I'll pass the basket now. Where is it? Oh, you did already? <coughs> Are we still, okay, too, mo- too little time? Or what? I'm lost right now, yes. Right. Oh, sit, everyone sit down there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how this goes. I'm an alcoholic. So, Mike, I'm, I'm curious um, how, uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm curious how you held on to, uh, to that level <coughs> of spirituality with the length of sobriety that you've had. I guess I'm not holding on. I'm not. I don't have a spiritual uh, experience. I am spirit. Yeah, that's the easiest. That's to me the highest level of maintenance of a spiritual condition is to realize you're not a mental condition, and what you find out you are is a spiritual condition. Yeah, and it sustains itself. It grows like electromagnetism feeds itself. You ever you know about electromagnetism? Electricity produces magnetism. Magnetus, <coughs> magne, uh, magnetism produces electricity, and it can go on infinitely. That's sort of like the spirit. Yeah, it's got its own engine. It's self. It's self-effulgent. It's light in itself. Yeah. So I go to meetings. I sponsor people. I do things like this, and I'm willing to be the hose quite a lot. And therefore, the water rushes in. And as a byproduct of the water rushes in, it keeps the hose pretty clean inside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it does. Yeah? <laughs> and that feeling of space is the space of the presence of spirit that all your thoughts are trying to occupy and all your stories are trying to occupy. They're trying to make you a storage unit when you're a conductor. You're meant to be conducting life, not a storage unit for memories and thoughts and ideas of yesterday and worries and concerns and hopes for the future. You're, that's like having a big building with none of the windows open. You know the smell when you're in those things with tons of files? You need windows to open. You need the pulse of your life to be felt. You need the wind of spirit moving through. That's what gives you that sense of aliveness. Yeah, I'm 63 years old almost now. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, I can run over twice. My both legs were. I had eight compound fractures. I've overdosed. I died. I'm fucking still cooking. Yeah, I'm just infused with the spirit. Awesome, and why? And it's not that the, the emphasis is not on me at all. It's the possibility for us 
if, you know, there would be no way if this was mine that I would share it with you. <laughs> You'd have to pay a lot more. <laughs> Because I can't, I, I don't know your real condition, but I know, uh, like it just said there, that you'll lose interest in yourself. And a lot of your interest in the self is presented by the thoughts. Right. Yeah? So you'll lose interest in the thoughts. I'll tell you, there's a huge difference. This is a simple way of looking at it. Let's say we have this, just the word here, money, yeah? If you can read it. I don't, I'm not that good at it. <laughs> money. I wrote money on the board. <laughs> right, health. And let's put money again. <laughs> no, health and let's say uh, relationships. Was a big word. All right. So everyone looks at it, and it has a certain meaning, you know conjures up a meaning in you when you see the word. If you don't have money, it may produce a little bit of a, you know, contraction because you're afraid that what not having money is going to entail in the future, yeah? Yeah, all right, so money, health, relationship. Everyone weigh it. Okay, let's change the weight of it. Really easy. Put the word my in front of them. So, just like we were talking about, I'd love to have all of you to have money, but not mine. Yeah? As soon as my is introduced, you don't change the word, money, health, and relationship. You don't have to. This is your point. This is your part. You give meaning to things. You and I are meaning givers. Yeah? In this, there's, a, there's a book called The Course in Miracles where they have a lesson... It's a very interesting download to the book, uh, where they talk about that you and I give everything all the meaning it has. That's what we're doing. It's called, you know, you call it your subjective experience. In other words, this is one event, but there's thousands of meanings are going to be had by it, yes? Because you're going to give it a meaning, different than everyone else, okay? All right, so money, my money. My is the act of owning or claiming the money. Just like that statement with, oh, you're growing a beard, yeah? That was like a false claiming that I'm the beard grower, yeah? When I have nothing to do with it, as long as I don't shave, yes? This is what the mental state's doing all day. You have a thought, but it's held as your thought, yeah? Your thought. 
Now, let's say I'm having a thought that's really bothering me. If you sat right next to me, it isn't contagious. Yeah? You're not going to get it. Yeah? And you go, oh, why is he so bothered by that? But if you held the same thought as yours, it would probably have a huge effect on you. As long as you saw it as mine, you have immunity to it. But the same thought, if it was about you, it would have an impact. Because the thought isn't producing the impact, it's you. You're producing the impact. What you represent is giving meaning to the money, my money. So let's say someone has a belief about money, and even when they have a million dollars, they're still anxious about money. They're not responding to the ease and comfort it could provide because of their belief. It's not enough, yes? Another person would be so grateful to be given like $5,000. Yeah? So it's not the money, obviously. Yeah? It's us. It's always us. It's always us. We're giving everything all the meaning it has. When you have alcoholism, you're getting a very bleak picture of things. It's sort of like you're throwing a big thing of yellow tint on all the rainbow colors of every day. So after a while, it looks just the same. Yeah, it's the same translation, the same story. What the mental, what alcoholism does, it diminishes that yellow tint, and you start seeing life sort of as it is, and you see different possibilities. And where you used to see a threat, you don't see a threat anymore because the meaning giver has changed. You're now transmitting different meanings to money. Yeah to relationships, to health. Yeah. Because you've changed. And try, instead of trying to change these, all you do is change this. Yeah. And admit that you can change it, and then do what we do in this AA, and AA will change this. It will weaken the my, you'll lose interest in your little plans and designs, and you'll gain interest in others. Yeah. And you'll feel the better for it. Like to me, it's a stabilization of traveling lighter. You travel lighter for a long period of time. It's not an experience anymore. You have tons of experiences during the day, but the, how you travel over them is, is much, much lighter than you used to. Because you're not giving everything so much fucking meaning anymore. Yeah. And you're not giving it the meaning. You're being used. Let's say you ever hear of the iCloud in computers. Something made up. It's just where all this information is stored. It's, there's no place. Suddenly, someone, you know, oh, there's an iCloud. There's no iCloud, right? It just goes into space. Information. Yeah? All right. So here's this use. And it's funny. I, I, I call we're connected to the me cloud. Me cloud. <laughs> we are, we're all connected to the me cloud through alcoholism. Yeah? So the me cloud is downloading meaning through us onto thoughts and onto situations. And then we're reacting to them as the real meaning of those things. Yeah? So it can get so weird where you think your enemies are your friends and your friends are your enemies. It gets really distorted, doesn't it? Yeah, this is all coming. It's like there's just tons of potential. Nothing is taken, nothing finds expression but through us. But it's a possibility, yeah? And it matters what's your contact. Are you contacting the, let's say, the me cloud? 
Yeah? Well, you're going to fucking need a drink. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be irritable, restless, discontent, because it's promising you everything but delivering nothing. Yeah? Or the eye cloud is a pretty good name because the eye would be the spirit. Yeah? Like there's one eye looking out of all of us right now. So if we contact the iCloud, which we can't do, but AA plays the middleman. Yeah? Now, do meetings download, and maybe there'll be a great meaning about what you are. Your inherent stable meaning of being a body will change, and you'll realize you're more spirit than a body. And then you'll travel later. Stabilized. Yeah? Yep. Um, you said that we're taken over by the parasite, right? And the parasite talks through us, to us, as us. Yes. And, and we believe that it is us. Yes. How did you eventually get to the point where you could differentiate between your... Yes. Your, the parasite talking as you and... and the Clearly around 11 years of sobriety, something happened. <laughs> Not that it happened in 11 years, but it happened in the 11th year of my surprise. I was doing those workshops, and it got very clear. Maybe it was earlier than that. Maybe the 9th year. Maybe uh, the 30th, 5th day. Maybe after I paid milestone for the next six months. Right? But something happened where I was doing these things, these workshops on the fourth step, and I read from How It Works every Monday night. And the, one of the big sentences had a whole new meaning. Something happened to me. And then all, all this stuff that I had a sort of stable meaning about, all these new meanings were jumping out of me about it. And when I saw the statement self manifested in various ways, it's on page 64, self manifested in various ways is what has defeated us. It was so clear we weren't self. Self and us. We're us. And then there's this fucking idea of self, which alcoholism has affixed itself to. Selfing is the self. The idea of self is the carrier. And then it's like what alcoholism piggybacks on. And then alcoholism takes over that sense of self. And now you live as an alcoholic or an addict, let's say. Yeah? All right. So when I saw it, it was so clear to me, clear as day, that self wasn't us. Yeah? And it says, all right, being convinced, which that's what it says, to believe with certainty, I believe with certainty. That self, manifested in various ways, is what has defeated us. Yeah? I said, all right, I'm clear on that. It says, okay, if you're clear, we'll now look at its common manifestations. And then the next paragraph says resentment. So resentment is a manifestation of self in my life. It's not yours. The act of being identified as self, or taking yourself to be the parasite, is you call its manifestations through your life yours. So now you're saddled with the resentment with the word my in front of it. It has a huge different meaning than just the resentment. A resentment can come and go and leave no impression. But when it's your resentment, it can be a story of, story of 40 years. Yes? Same thing with fear. Same thing's harming others in the pursuit of what you want. Those are expressions or manifestations of self in our life. Why do we keep calling them ours? 
That's the rub of the disease to me. It's called the act of being identified as a self. That's how I see it. And that's how it was revealed to me. And I haven't not seen it since then. And that's why I come to these talks to share it with people in my tribe. And I don't give a damn what happens. You've been served the spiritual subpoena. You know? I just knew you have the right to hear it because I was so happy I fucking heard it. I didn't hear it in AA. I heard it outside of AA. And I wasn't going to leave AA, so I brought it back in, thinking it would be welcomed with open arms, which is not the way it was, has been received. But I'm persistent. And I have time, so they can't kick me out. I'm 26 and a half years. And I did a lot of service in my life back where I live, so they couldn't touch me then either. But man, they like to. <laughs> because it's not AA. <laughs> it's so insane. There's a statement in the book, Contempt Prior to Investigation, and we're doing it in AA about new ideas that could be coming into AA and, and, and embellishing AA. It says it. We know but a little. People will come after us and add on to this, to the principles. Yes. How about this? This is an add-on. You don't have to have it. But I'll tell you, if it resonates, you feel it in the room. There's fucking authenticity in the space. You can sense it. It's like, it's like the silent echo of an aha from spirit. You know when it's, it's righteous. I can sense it in the rooms. And sometimes the rooms are full of fucking resistance. I've worked some bad audiences in AA. What is this? <laughs> Unbelievable. It really is. We're the only disease that has a huge reluctance to the, to the solution. It's unbelievable. It's unreally believable how nonchalantly we take this. The hells we've been through? How nonchalantly. Like, I don't have a choice to do service, I have to do service. It works for my, the mind that I've been saddled with, alcoholic. Yeah, It takes you out of self so that you can get a sense of what it's like to be out of self. Yeah, And you always fucking feel better. Yeah? And what does that feeling like? Oh, I feel bigger or bigger and I'm available and I sense the presence of the higher power. How amazing is that? It didn't take one second to sense the presence, but one condition had to be in place. You had to be out of the S of self. You're not going to feel the presence up there. You know? You're going to need like a divine proctologist to pull you out. And yet you'll keep run, running back up there. Oh, I had a sense of presence. No, you are the sense of presence. You're not the experiencer. You are what's aware. You're the awareness of life. It's not in form. It's not a body. It doesn't have a beginning or an end. It's not in Idaho and not in Nebraska. It's everywhere. There's how many billions of people on this planet? There could be 80 zillion billion people and all of them would be conscious. There is no supply of consciousness. It's infinite. Infinite. There, was, there wouldn't be, oh, the 80th first billion person got only 50% conscious, no. It would be conscious, running around, just like everything else is, bugs and everything else. Conscious, conscious, conscious. An infinite supply, 
enlivening this event, and none of us are fighting. It's like the fish not even aware of the water. They're in it all day. They don't even notice that they're fucking wet. And it can go so crazily to the extreme, you'll be studying wetness, hoping to have an experience of it. Then you're immersed in it all day. <laughs> yes. Um, thank you. I'm really happy I came to see you. You're great. Um, I, I definitely know that I'm dying. I um, feel like I'm waiting to die. Um, and like a few weeks ago, I, I was too impatient to wait. And um, you do what? Too impatient oh. to wait. So I'm really self-centered, you know. Um, but listening to you makes me realize <clears throat> how um, self-centered I am because I, I do agree that when it's very cathartic when I'm helping anybody with anything, but I get angry when you're saying that I'm very afra- I'm very afraid of death. I always have been the unknown, whatever. And I I, I thought if I'm if I, at least I had a purpose in life then I wouldn't be so afraid when I died because my life meant something. But I'm angry when I hear that my purpose in life is to help people. And I, I realize that it's self-centered, but I, I feel like I've been waiting for something good to happen to me. And, and I just want to express this, no matter how selfish it sounds. Um, you know, maybe I feel self-pity still. You know, my parent, I felt my parents didn't like me, so... I'm like, why do I have to give and give and give, and and then I'm gonna die? Like I, I don't know. That's how, that's how I feel, and um, it makes me really discouraged to just give it all up. I'm so afraid, like of, you know, I'm off substances and whatever, not even drinking caffeine, but like I still, I still want like um, attention. That's, um, you know, it's I'm dying. For sure, and I and I can't cross and give my um, give my will over. I'm, I'm I'm too mad and afraid that my life is. I'm not going to get anything back for it. I, I, that's what I have to say. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No help? <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of it, isn't it? Yeah. No, sit with that. Sit with what you said. Yeah. See what happens. One thing, maybe you're not beholden to what's having this incredible description of you. Yeah. Maybe that take you feel so authentic isn't authentic at all. Maybe you would thrive one day giving. Who knows? But we're so, we think we're so damn right. And sometimes we, we want to be so damn right about being wrong. And there's consequences to that. You know, for me, I had to have my ass kicked. I was very, very stubborn took me the 36 years and tons of bottoms and a bottom wouldn't do it for me it had to be an intervention a divine one 
that if that opening hadn't happened and my head hadn't stopped, I would have been probably dead in a couple of weeks or another institution or in jail again. And I would have probably kept going until there was no current turning back in that life. But something decided to stop that and put it to a stop and then start a whole new ball rolling. I'd ask for that power to help you. If you don't see it in yourself, you've seen it demonstrated in others, you know? I would ask that power to help you, definitely. Like you said about being stubborn, I'm so stubborn that I I was at a meeting yesterday and people were talking about Bill and Bob, whatever, and I got, I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, the thoughts that come to my mind are, these people are probably just diehard Christians and they're making all this shit up to pe- have pe- more people convert and be spiritual. Like, that's how I think. And I pray for willingness to be willing. And and that that's where I'm starting. And I really appreciate everything you said, but I'm so stubborn. And yet I, I, I really feel in, internalized that I know I'm, I'm dying. I know it. I, there's no yeah, way yeah. Last, no well, way. you think you're so stubborn, but you're here. Mm-hmm. Acknowledge that first. That usually gets overlooked. Mm-hmm. That you're sober right now, probably. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yes. Uh, <coughs> thanks for being here. Something that might might help is, um, you know, Paul talked a lot about. Just being here in AA and doing the the work, because um, I felt a lot like that. You know, I can't get this. I don't, you know, I thought there was something to get. You know, and I can't get it. And I'm doing the work, and I'm doing the work, no matter what, because you know, I don't, I don't have any other choice anymore. I just, choices were all gone. And I can't go. I can't go do what I did. And I was. I was so afraid to, you know, of everything. But I just kept trying to do this work to the best of my ability. And by doing the work, let's lessen the the mental state more and more and more. And uh, and then I kept looking outside that, seeking other places. Even I had been in AA for 15 years and went back out. And when I came back in, I was absolutely sure that this didn't work. I went to meetings every day, you know, and, and I prayed every day after I got back. And I didn't know what I was praying to or what. I, uh, and I knew nothing worked, and I don't know. I was it was something that I had learned here. It just I I knew that I had to keep I had to give up. You know, I had to give up, and it was so hard to give up. And I didn't even know what I was giving up. You know, because I was so screwed myself. <coughs> and. Um, and I remember reading some uh, lots of spiritual books and all of that good stuff, and is and I'm listening to uh, a spiritual teacher that met her teacher, and 
she's like, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? And he's laughing and laughing and laughing because she don't do nothing. And um, I'm like, what the hell is this? Shit? And, and then she's going, yeah, I get that. I get that. But what do I got to do? And he's laughing and laughing and laughing. And you don't do anything. And, and, I, and I'm looking at him like I'm, I feel the same way as she did. And I threw the book down. And I said, I give up. And I re really gave up. You know, and it was, there was so much surrender in that give up. It downloaded. And that's all it takes, is really, really give up. I was so afraid of that nothingness. I was so afraid of you know, what was going to happen to me if I lost it all? And the moment I said the hell with it and gave up, it was all all It's too vast. You know? And you know, all it, the the biggest thing that I get out of it is you know the fear is so illusional that it that it just kept holding me and holding me and holding me. And I don't have to do that anymore. I was so afraid to just let it all go. And 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 I didn't even know how to do that. So that that's how the fear was. And then when it finally happens, it happens. It's like, you know, I really had to give up and not... And, and and have faith that it's going to be okay, you know. And it was only because of the mental diminishing that this book has brought had brought me to. And when and once it happens, the funny part is is that all of a sudden this tip, the scale just tips over, and like you you were talking about before, it's like you know. The twelfth step becomes redundant because I don't have to give this away. I have to give this away in order for me to keep it. I have to be that conduit, and, and that that is so cool. That is, that's because that's where it's always at. It's where the juice is. You know? <coughs> but don't be don't be afraid to give up. Or uh, or be so fearful of giving up that you finally give up because there is a breaking point. Just stick it out. Keep doing the work. Keep keep looking at yourself and find out how foolish I really was was running my life. And that it, when I'm really sick and tired of being sick and tired, it'll happen. Yes. <laughs> Anyone else? And it doesn't, you know, keep hating AA, but be A in AA. <laughs> you can hate it all you want, just don't leave it. <laughs> Isn't that the, really, the parasite saying, I'm leaving, and then you realize your ass is still in the chair? Then you'll get a sense you're not that. It's yapping as if it's you, and after a while, more of you will be sitting on its ass, and you have to say, I'm out of here. No, you say, hey, you're still here. Oh, I thought I was out of here. No, it 
it has, it's bogus. It needs your juice to do anything. If you don't give it the juice, it's just all talk, you know? Yapping and yapping and yapping. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yes. But okay, yeah. Yeah. T-shirts, we got them back there. Yeah. Some of them wearing them right now. Yeah. All right, the uh, we what's and it take us out the way you do it in New Jersey, but uh, we do the we version of Serenity Press. So God, 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 Thank <laughs> you. 
but I think that's a good Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah.
Yeah, yeah. 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 When, when I like to see some English speakers, I think of it as spiritual kicking out. I don't know, but I feel like spiritual kicking out to everyone else. Yeah, yeah. Instead of the eternal presence, I like to a little more. Well done. Irritate. I told my mother. Yeah, I'm leaving tomorrow to I'm 
Let's get the money and run. Yeah. 
I'm happy to see you, boys. Thanks for the, all the money. And stuff. Oh, yeah, it's right. Uh, it was too, like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, was, yeah there wasn't that much space. This was a lot of, this fits 90 people. Oh, yeah, we got two good ones. This was I, he was all right. He and his girlfriend came last night. Yeah, he seems good. He seems a little out of it in a lot of ways, but you know. He would call me and I would be like driving or something or something. And I get lost. And I remember like two days later, I don't remember shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember shit well, I'm, the memory is just like uh, that's why you need like a notebook. Yeah, no, I did. Con- exactly contacts. Listen, you contact them. You have to. No, I mean, especially when I'm doing this talk. Usually I don't make it. Do you remember in the train wreck meeting? Um, <laughs> <laughs> did you, did you, I brought 